The Lord be with you, everyone, and believe it or not, we've come to the very last uh, session that we're going to have on these Beatitudes. So let me read it one more time in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, just put a hold there. Um, we, we are going to go elsewhere to give what I believe is one of the best illustrations of this in the New Testament. But let me say this. After all these weeks, we, we have looked at, at this full-bodied picture that Jesus has given us of a believer. And we have spent time looking into it. And I, I believe, and I'm, I, I think I'm true, that there's a number of people that have seen a picture of the Christian life, the gospel, as indeed the good is most incredible, most amazing, astonishing news you've ever heard. And there has come with that a certain sense of yes, but, that although you have seen that this is yours in Christ, there is a sense that I'm not living this. And I know, I know exactly that feeling where I have seen more than I'm living, that I know this is the truth, and yet I feel that I'm standing on the outside looking in. Now, I, I want to speak to that it, with that in mind. It's not our subject, but I want to have that in mind as we look at this. Because, you see, our life in Christ advances. We grow and we grow in the grace of God, and we do so by the opening of our inner eyes to see the truth of who we truly are in Christ, that the lie has blinded us to. And in many cases, that lie has used religion to steer us away from the good of the good news. And so, what has happened and is now happening even as I speak, your inner eyes have been opened to see what you've never seen before concerning the good news in Christ. And the fact that your eyes have been opened is the promise to you that you will come to know this as your most deep, intimate, personal experience. You see, the opening of the eyes uh, shows us truth. It shows us who uh, the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit truly are in relationship to us. Opening my eyes shows me who I truly am. And if I'm living below that, it doesn't change the fact that this is who I truly am. You 
are. Your identity is locked in to Jesus, not to your feelings, not even to your present behavior. It's locked in to Christ. That's you are defined. You are given identity because he's in you and you are in him. And your feelings about that and your behavior catches up to that. And so when you feel concern over an area of life that that is still murky to you, you're not sure of it. And the, the first thing when you get there, the first act of Satan the accuser is to condemn you and say, see, you're not there. And if you listen to him, that advances to self-hate and despising. And that can go to envy and victim that others have this and I don't. All that, just flush it down the toilet, you see, because when there's concern for an area of your life, that is the Holy Spirit telling you that this is the next area of his advance in your life. It's not, a, it's not a time for condemnation. It's a time for excitement. To the very fact you become aware that this is an area that I need to know how to live. That's wonderful. That, that, that means the Holy Spirit is just about to work in there. And ha- how does that happen? People in your life, circumstances expose what we've not yet seen. Yeah, the people, I mean, it, I, I would live the most perfect Christian life if it wasn't for people and circumstances, you see. People come and they say this and they do this and then sometimes they talk behind your back and and, and, and then they, they confront you and all the other stuff that goes on in relationships, in home and work and church life and and, and the circumstances that pile up. Things were going so well and then these circumstances came Well, those circumstances expose not how bad you are. They expose what you have not yet seen or laid hold upon or taken as your own. And again, that's exciting. The the fact that you you look as if you're you're doing a pretty poor job of living this life, that's good. You're seeing that, you see. You're seeing it. That's not to condemn you. That's to show you uh, this is where the Holy Spirit is going to weave into your very being the life of Christ. That's next on the list. it's, It's the announcement of the next area of growth. Well... Uh, you could say a growth spurt is imminent. And I believe that as we've gone through these verses that we've called the Beatitudes, um, you've had a lot of those moments. And and as we come to this last one and, and have spoken of, you know, persons standing in, in these moments of extreme pressure with joy that is unspeakable, and filled with the glory of God, that that seems a long way from where I'm living, says someone. Um, Well, the Holy Spirit is going to then deal with your life in that area by showing you how Christ is your life in that area. See, the Holy Spirit is always positive. The Holy Spirit never condemns. The Holy Spirit never refers back to what a, a track record you have. The Holy Spirit always points you to Jesus in this moment to say, we're going to 
understand this union that you have with Christ as you've never understood it before. And so we look at this walk we have as a continual coming to growth spurts. And then we learn to live there until we're comfortable there. And then we find the Holy Spirit starts um, going on into another area of life that we've never dreamed of before. And that that's just the nudge of the Holy Spirit to say you're about to discover another amazing, astonishing wonder of the gospel. And so we learn over the months, hopefully, otherwise the years, whatever, but we learn that every pressure of every trial, every opportunity that comes into life, every challenge which, of course, all is ultimately expressed in persecution, that these negative situations are really the positive. They are the arena where the word of promise, the word of Jesus Christ living in you is played out, and maybe for the very first time. See, Paul, who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, Paul did not suddenly know and experience the truths he shared in his letters. Now, let that sink in. Because I I know I've talked with a lot of people who look at Paul really as, as magic, you see. That Paul suddenly, you know, shazam! And Paul understood everything that he wrote in Ephesians and Colossians. And, you know, there's some magic wand that was waved over him, and suddenly he understood union with Christ. No, the gospel is not magic. That's why the Holy Spirit is our teacher, and the Holy Spirit was Paul's teacher. One of these days we'll have to go through the life of Paul, how he came to know these things and came to know progressively over a period of time. It's not magic. Please understand it's not magic. It is that gradually through the experiences of life, through the pressures of life, as we wait expectantly upon the Holy Spirit to be indeed our teacher, the pressures of people and circumstances, we come to know what we didn't know before. And that knowing becomes a life change. That is, once you come to know these things, you can't go back. I'm sorry. Just being with us for these Beatitudes, you've been spoiled to a point where you can't go back. I'm sorry. You can't visit here and say, ho-hum, that was interesting. If you've heard what the Word of God says, you can't go back. You realize you've been initiated into a new way of seeing things. You've been placed into a new understanding of the gospel. And that's really what I want to look at. That here, and I'm talking about the persecuted people, but you, you get it, don't you, that it involves all of us all of the time because we're all under some sort of persecution and we're always learning how to live this incredible life. And so let me read, um, first of all, let me read from Philippians. And in verse 11, 
and I preach him halfway through. He says, For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I've met many people who know that last verse, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But did you realize there was a time when Paul didn't really know that? He didn't really get it. Because in verse 12, did you hear it? He said, in all these circumstances that might be interpreted as positive or negative, but he says, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry and so on. That, that's a fascinating expression. He said there was a time when I had to learn the secret. And actually, the original language there said he had been initiated into a secret. It was as if in his inside eyes, the curtains were drawn aside and he saw what he'd never seen before, and that changed his life forever. Well, what was that that he saw? He just refers to it there. He tells me that it ends up that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but I believe. Now, I can't prove this. That's beside the point. It fits that something happened to Paul earlier than when he wrote Philippians. And I'm going to talk about it, but it's in 2 Corinthians 12. And the heart of what happened to him in verse 9, he said, he, the Lord Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So, something happened in the life of Paul, and because it happened, or in the midst of it happening, he got it. He saw something that would change the way he looked at life forever. And somewhere in that future from there, he wrote Philippians and says, I learned the secret. There was a day when I learned this, and because I learned it, now I can walk confidently in. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And remembering what the Beatitude says concerning this incredible reaction to persecution, we come to this. And and what what is it that Paul learned that so changed his life? Well, as I say in 2 Corinthians 12, you have a story. Um, and it's a story that fits in with the whole letter. 2 Corinthians is the most personal letter of the New Testament that Paul wrote. Most personal. I mean, I don't think he wrote it thinking we would be reading it 2,000 years later. He, he, he just opens his heart up. He makes himself so vulnerable. And, and he, he 
says of the pressures that were upon him. In the first chapters, he talks about how I nearly died. I nearly lost it. And he goes on in previous to this chapter, he talks about all the agonies that he had gone through and the feelings that he experienced at the time. He lived in the midst of persecution. And that's not only the persecution you read of in the Acts, where they stoned him and they maligned him and threw him out of the city and all of that. No, the persecution, much of it, much of it was within the church. Now, that, that's a tough one. I can take persecution from the world, but it's when my brothers and sisters are the persecutors that that hurts, and it hurts deeply. And Paul lived under that kind of persecution. Many of the people in the church at Corinth were part of it, and they had visiting speakers to the church in Corinth, and they brought their own log to the fire. And then, and these were the, the sort of heart of it, they, I don't know what you'd call them, they were Pharisees, but they were sort of Christianized. I, at least they had in some way confronted the resurrection of Jesus, some way, but they carried their Pharisee mindset with them. And so now, as they come up against Paul and his preaching of this love of God and this grace of God to all persons, they they kind of lose it. And so they were the main cause of the persecution. They, they, and, and they didn't come at him to fight him physically. Oh, no, you could handle that. It's that other. They, they came to persecute him with their slander and, and to do it, again, not face-to-face, but sort of offhand references. They, they portrayed him as someone unfit to preach the gospel at all. I mean, they said, don't you realize? He, he, began, he began as a persecutor of the church. I mean, come on. Now, Peter or Andrew or John, they, they were disciples of Jesus. But the, the, this fellow, he was a persecutor of the church. How on earth does he know what he's talking about? He wasn't with Jesus here in the flesh. And anyway, they said, he's a very poor speaker. He doesn't know how to put two sentences together. And if he, if he was speaking the truth, he would be a much more dynamic speaker. They even went to his appearance and said he's not very good looking. And of course, what pictures do come down to us through the centuries, um, he, he, he'd been beaten up so many times in physical persecution, that his his legs seemed to be sort of bow-legged, and he he sort of got a um, well, he certainly had a bald head, and and, and <laughs> no, he he was not. They're not going to gaga over him, and he's not going to have people come because they think he's a fantastic chap. No, um, he's not a mighty man of wonders. He talks. But then, I mean, he gets beaten up. I mean, if God was with him, surely he would protect him from all this beating up. And he's caught in bad situations. 
I tell you, this man isn't qualified to call himself an apostle. And on and on they went. And then they said, and of course, if he isn't qualified, you shouldn't be listening to him. All this stuff about the love of God and the grace of God. No, no, no. He's not qualified to even try and think what the gospel means. Went on and on and on. And he then comes to chapter 12. You can read what I've just said uh, in chapters 10 and 11, uh, and of course in other parts of the New Testament too, because these people were omnipresent wherever Paul went. There he found these people to tear himself and his message apart. But then he comes and, and he brings it all together, and he describes this opposition, all these people who are just waiting in the wings to come and tear to pieces the gospel he was preaching and replace it with a list of do's and don'ts and religion and formulas. And he called that a thorn in the flesh. Yes, your eyes have perked up. You've heard of that. A thorn in the flesh. And when it says flesh, that's a New Testament word for the totality of your mortal person. And so it affects your, your mind and your emotions. It affects your body, yes. But, but it, your total person as a human being, thorn in the flesh. Now, I've heard, I don't know, everybody's got their own idea what that thorn in the flesh was. And quite frankly, I don't care. Um, I, I tend to interpret the Bible by the Bible. And so, if you look at Judges 2 and 3, uh, the Canaanites are described in such a fashion. But Ezekiel 28, 24, um, those who were opposing the prophet Ezekiel were called the, the prickly briar bush, um, the thorns going into him. You will find it referenced in those early books of the Bible. The enemies of the gospel, wherever you found them, were described as thorns in your eyes, thorns in your, your being, your flesh. It's a Hebrew expression, which meant just that, the opposition to the gospel. It doesn't mean he was sick. It means that every time the chap got up to speak, somebody is going to laugh at him and cause people to wonder about his message. And, and, and Paul called this opposition a messenger of Satan. Now, as we've said before, and I will keep saying it till it sinks in, we do well to translate the word Satan because it means accuser. And the accuser is elsewhere called the liar and elsewhere called devil, which means divider, separator. And that's it, isn't it? It makes a lot more sense, actually, when you say uh, messenger of the accuser. You see, when, when people say Satan or devil today, they immediately think of the exorcist and someone frothing at the mouth. No, 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 no. Uh, that, that's, <laughs> no, no. Well, well, he's the accuser, and that's much more subtle because it's words that come through the mouth of, of others, lies that they tell about you, actions that seek to separate you and divide you away from others. And oftentimes those words are also spoken into your mind 
and, and you think you're thinking them, but it's the words of the accuser. And he tells us that the messenger of, of the accuser tormented him. And that word in the Greek language is fascinating. It means insulted, yeah, but it also means slapping someone on the face. It also means punching them in the ear or kicking them in the ribs. <laughs> it describes a mugging. And it says this messenger of Satan, through the voices and actions of all these people that were angry at his message, that tore him apart. He said it was, it was like being slapped in the face. It was like someone knocking you down and kicking you in the ribs. He's pretty explicit, you know. And, of course, coming from the accuser, therefore, it's, it's always shaming you with negative words and negative thoughts. Father and Son and Holy Spirit never have a negative thought. Therefore, any negative thought you had does not originate in the God who loves you. And it comes, you know, shaming you with, with you're not enough. If you were so-and-so, then you could handle this. But you're not good enough. You're not enough. It, those words are always there. He also described it as insults, which are verbal mistreatment. It's when people gossip about you and slander or tell outright lies. Another word he uses down the chapter there is distress. That's an interesting one. In the original language, it means to tie your arms behind your back so you can never fight back. Yes, you know that? You know that? I mean, Paul couldn't fight back. Is he going to spend the whole time in Corinth telling them, well, this is the way it is, and what they're saying is not true? No. I get on and tell you this gospel, but I feel my arms are tied behind my back. I cannot fight back. They just come at me and insult me and lie about me and gossip about me. Persecution for the sake of the message. See, persecution is not always when they throw you in jail. It's not always when they lop off your head. Persecution, sometimes that which hurts the most, is in words they speak against you because of the message, because of your grasp of union in Christ. He calls it difficulties further down there in the chapter. Uh, difficulty, that means a situation that crushes. It means a situation that cramps you so that there's nowhere to turn and you feel there's no way out of it. They're, they're, Jesus um, called the Pharisees um, messengers of Satan. And, and he said that they were of their father the liar and everything they said was a lie. And so Paul is in good company. As they had persecuted Jesus, these same people, only now Christianized, there's a lot of them, aren't there? They've got enough of the gospel to be miserable. They've got enough of the gospel to say, I can't do this and I can't do that, but they have no clue what you can do in the gospel, which is beyond human thought. And, and, and so these Pharisees that had attacked Jesus in the same way are now attacking him. 
Notice, will you, he didn't call this a messenger from God. Oh, I, I've, I've had people and well, I've asked to pray for them. They're, they're sick and they said, oh, no, this is, my, this is my thorn in the flesh that God gave me. Don't be daft. God doesn't. Do, what kind of God do you worship? You, you worship the God of sickness and poverty and misery? Come and meet Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He didn't call this a messenger from God. He said it was a messenger from the accuser. Satan. God never slaps your face. He never kicks you. He never accuses you. He doesn't condemn you. And he certainly doesn't oppose the gospel. Look, humility is not God making us a doormat for the world. And if you read the whole of this, this passage in 2 Corinthians 12, he said uh, that he asked for God to remove this. He asked, he said three times, which in our language would probably be saying, you know, we, we say again and again. It doesn't mean it was just twice. Uh, again and again, I ask him to remove it. And Paul is saying that he begged of God again and again to remove these people. Get them out of the way so that I can have a clear road to preach the gospel. That's interesting. That this this image of Paul, we don't often think like that. But he, as I said, he's being most vulnerable. He's telling us now exactly what, what happened. And he said... Um, he, he would kneel there in prayer, an exhausted believer. Can you, can you think of Paul like this? See, see, Paul can relate to where you've been. This exhausted believer, he's crying out, take this away, take it away. I'm overwhelmed. Get rid of these people. They frustrate me. They make me angry. They, they're barriers to the gospel. It was a situation unwanted and bringing with it this dark cloud of dread that is going to upset the whole preaching and purpose of God. What, what, what's the matter here? Well, Paul is, and how can I, I don't know really how to say it. I, well, I will say he was afraid of creature weakness, um, Maybe afraid is is it doesn't convey what I want, but he he's pulling back from it. He, uh, he's balking at it. You know what I mean? It, it's like a horse that has come to the edge of a precipice and backs off. Uh, and Paul has come to this point of creature weakness, and where he's at in his most glorious walk with God, but on this point, he he pulls back from creature weakness. That is, my creature weakness is that I derive my life at every level, my physical life, my mental life, my emotional life, above all the very life uh, of God in my, my inmost being. That's derived. I don't invent that. I, I, it doesn't come from me. I get it from, I take it from, I receive it from. I am a dependent creature. That's what being a creature means. I, I receive. I, I don't have it in myself. All I have in myself is weakness. 
um, feelings of inadequacy and helplessness. That, that's my native feeling of, of my mortal flesh. Um, and, and see, we, we, if we don't understand that's meant to be, that's not sin, you see, that's not sin. That, that's not sinful weakness. That's how you were meant to be. You were meant to be weak so that you could receive the strength of God and be the manifesto, the revealer of that strength in the world. But if you don't know that, then we, we get afraid. And I'll use that word afraid. But certainly we pull back from it. That, no, weakness, I don't want to be weak. You see, uh, Paul stands looking at what these people are doing. And remember, one word he used is, is my hands are tied behind my back. So I, I can't do anything. I'm feeling so weak, so helpless, and they appear so strong. Take them away. Destroy them. Get rid of them. Because they, they make me feel so weak. Now, I, I know this is hard to get because we have been taught that our creature weakness is wrong. It's, it's a disability. And so we have been taught to despise our weakness, to be afraid of it, angry that we have it. And so to avoid any sense of weakness, but certainly any situation that will expose it. Do you understand? We, we try to hide it and mask it. You know, in the testimony meeting in the church, we get up and we, we talk like we're spiritual supermen, you know. Uh, and, and, of course, we've got the strength of God. Um, but we, we miss out the point that that strength of God came into the container of weakness. I, in myself, looking out on life, just plain me, I feel weak. And, and I try to overcome that by masking it with a look of confidence and talk big um, and, and also avoid and run from people who expose my weakness. But the fact is, this, this life that we have in Christ, it, is, it blossoms as we move it, rest in that. You know, Jesus said, as we've talked before, he said that um, salvation um, with men, it's impossible. And I've told you before, but in this context, um, the, the day that dawned on me, it's impossible to be a Christian. Impossible. And I ran around the room saying, impossible. It's absolutely impossible. It's impossible. Therefore, snuggle down in that bed of impossible. It's impossible for me to live a life like this. Good, you've got it, you see. It is only when I know my weakness and embrace my weakness and not be ashamed of my weakness because that's the way I'm created as a creature. I don't cower as a victim. I don't whine with complaints about everything in life. If a person or event makes me feel weak and helpless... It isn't the devil that I've got to cast out. It is we bring God to our side. We recognize he's in on this. He made me this way. And I ask him huh, to take it away. Get me out of here. You can't let me be weak. I must be strong for you. 
change these circumstances. No. Oh, he's with you, but he's with you for a far better reason than that. We, we need to see this situation as God sees it. A life-changing revelation. It, this, this that Paul saw at that time, it was, it was unpacking in him the mind of Christ to see this situation, unchanged situation, but now to see it as God sees it. His mind, which already was filled to the full with the grace of God, but it needed to expand and get a bigger picture, an expanding, renewed mind, a new insight into spiritual warfare. And what was it? The Lord said, no, I'm not taking it away. (laughs) Okay, he's not taking it away. Then what? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect or comes to maturity in weakness. We are dependent creatures deriving life from God. It is our glory to own our creature dependence and present our weakness to him to be filled with his multifaceted grace and strength. Did you get that? In fact, it would be true to say we receive the grace and the strength in direct uh, accord with our embracing of our weakness. So, can, can you get used to this new life in Christ where we're not afraid of weakness as a negative? Think about that. We're not ashamed of being weak and inadequate as if it was sin. We do not complain about it as if it was an intruder. But we recognize that we were created to be weak in order that we may receive his strength. So when we face a situation, and that situation is of such a character, such a nature that it's like a scapel upon our our weakness. And we suddenly realize uh, in this area we're weakness and that we can be afraid. I can't handle this. I don't know what to do here. I don't have the wisdom for this. I don't have the love to meet this situation. I don't have the patience for this. We're we're saying I'm, I'm weak. But you see, if you if, if you get what I'm saying, you yes, you'll you'll feel that. That will be your first reaction. A micro moment may be as you grow in Christ, but you move from that. And I'll say immediately. To begin with, it might not quite be immediately, but you move from that to realize. Then His strength fills this weakness. It is His love in me to meet the situation. It is his wisdom to know what to do. It is his power to handle this situation that's impossible to me. And I could keep going. You get the picture. We weak, he strong. And so we we recognize this situation is the opportunity for the grace of God to overwhelm and frustrate and silence the messenger of Satan. 
And how does he do that? He ignores the screams of the enemy. The enemy's defeated. The enemy was crushed at the cross, and our flesh that would be in cahoots with him was crucified with Christ. So why would you expect the Holy Spirit to start trying to revive your flesh or give it mouth-to-mouth resuscitation? And you, you know, you say, I've got this problem here, and I'm weak in this area. Well, what do we do? Go for counseling and see what your parents did to make you weak in that area, you know? You had bad potty training, and, and so, no, the Holy Spirit, not it. That was crucified with Christ. It's over. It's done. Now let's start with the grace of God that now... In this moment, because you're in Christ, grace fills this area of weakness because it's in your weakness that his strength is, is made so strong. Um, in fact, what I thought was a disaster and I should go forward every Sunday night to try and get saved properly. No, no, this is a teaching moment. This is how the Holy Spirit is going to show you His grace is sufficient. His grace is big enough to handle this that you call and know as weakness so that your grace from Him will, will swallow up the weakness. Um, we're, we're not, and Paul came to see this in this chapter. He says he's not defined by human weakness. I'm not defined by that. I'm defined by the grace of God that completely overwhelms and embraces and fills that weakness. What What is grace? Grace, see, grace is not something God merely gives as a sort of thing. You know, he... How, how do you think of grace? Boy, I'd love to know. <laughs> uh, gr- grace, many people see it as sort of, I don't know, a lump of gray matter, or I don't know, something, a thing, that's sort of a, a blob, of glob of power of some sort that God dumps into you. No, grace. Grace, and of course the meaning of the word grace is, is gift, unlimited gift. And it is also um, very closely associated with the word joy, and so it's it's the gift of extreme joy. And whatever God gives, He is. God never gives you stuff that something external to Himself. He never gives you a thing. He gives Himself together. Grace is the personal presence of God making himself known in you, to you, in this present moment. So that facing this, the situation has exposed your weakness. Well, grace is that he fills that moment with himself. And grace then is is the personal presence of the Holy Spirit God the Holy Spirit, who is himself the fullness of the Father and the Son, and he now inside of us actualizes all that Christ is. So that Christ is my life, you see. Christ is my life. That's the Holy Spirit actualizing the person, the presence, and all the work and triumph of Jesus inside of me. 
Grace is the Holy Spirit enlightening me to see what I've never seen before, but I need to see it in this situation. Grace is the love and the comfort and the strength and the enlightenment of God enveloping me, empowering me, elevating us to realize who we truly are in Christ and giving us that authority, that permission to live and walk at the level of impossible. Because what I'm saying is that I live, yet it's not I, it's Christ who lives in me. Therefore, my life comes under the heading of impossible. That is impossible to the human. Our weakness is swallowed up in the strength, the power of the ascended Jesus now dwelling in us through the Spirit. And it's continuing. In in John chapter 1, it speaks of grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Like the incoming waves of the ocean, one on top of another, each one encroaching the beach. It's a continual, bountiful gift that never ceases to be given. And the New Testament word is lavished upon us. It's, It's unfolded like... Like, like a new garment that perfectly fits us. It's, it's there coming into our life to be discovered, to perfectly fit this unique event in my life. The epistles, always, have you noticed? They begin with, um, grace be to you. So for, for every opportunity, every challenge, every pressure, every trial, grace is being given. Grace is the presence of the Holy Spirit, all sufficient to come. And what what does this word sufficient mean? Enough and to spare. Always to spare, by the way. God never just gives enough. He's not tight-fisted. It's always enough and to spare. You you have enough grace that you're going to be able to share this with others. Sufficient means you're adequate. It means nothing lacking. Actually, the word filled means crammed with his fullness. And is greater than the opposition where sin abounds. Grace does much more abound. So, we, we, when we're at the end of our rope, that's the beginning of his life in us. And so, grace is continually made perfect in weakness. Uh, brought to its goal, that is, finished, matured, fulfilled, completed. Grace is made perfect. That's what perfect means. You've arrived at the goal. You're matured. Well, grace is made perfect. Grace comes to its fullest expression in our weakness, shown most effective in our realized lack of ability. So now we recognize our weakness without shame, without self-hate. That is, you know, that false humility that says, I'm no good. No, I recognize that outside of Christ, I, I am not. But inside of Christ, his I am is my I am. Right? I am is my strength and everything else. We, we never again cower saying, I'm not enough. We move immediately to his strength. It swallows up the weakness. 
It's, it's uh, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? In the Old Testament, David says, the Lord is my. And then filled in um, the positive over against what otherwise would have been his weakness. And the Lord, that's the, in my opinion, the poor translation. Well, it's not a translation. Substitution uh, of the name of God, I am. And so he says, I am. That's the name of God in all his fullness and sureness and reality. I am is my. Well, see, he says, is is my strength. He is, is my shield. He is my light, my salvation. They're all the great positives of God that have now become mine. And the feelings follow. We... We, we don't realize ourselves to be in Christ because we feel like it. We realize it because our God has said so, and the Spirit of God witnesses it is so, and the feelings then follow. So, um, Paul said that when he, when he realized this, then he looked again at all these things that came with the persecution of these people, and he says, well then, when the grace is given, he described it, and I quote here from many translations. In the translation that we have here, it says that he would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I'll accept that. That's good. But the actual words that Paul wrote are that he might pitch his tent over me. That is, I, I will be in residence with the fullness of Christ, and he will envelop me, and, and that is who I be. I, I've arrived at the portal of God's power. My weakness becomes the very doorway to realize his presence is everything that I need in this moment. With the result, we're content. <laughs> you see, um, that's when we go to Philippians, though I am not going to expound that in great detail. But in Philippians 4, now, now do you understand? I believe in my study of the life of Paul that when and that happened in 2 Corinthians 12, and in 2 Corinthians 12, he's talking about it as something that has happened in his past. Well, that, I believe, is what Paul meant when he said, I've learned the secret. This happened to me, and there was like a blinding, glorious light. My grace is made perfect in weakness. I got it. So I, I'm, I'm taken above my persecutors. They can't touch me because I am more aware of his grace than I am of their hurts. And let me remind you that this is applicable to the entirety of our Christian life, not just when ISIS has captured you. No, no, no. This is what happens in the workplace. This is what happens on, on the street, that we are in this world and not of it, and we're meeting the pressures of this world all the time. We're constantly being faced with a Satan an accuser who doesn't like us. Well, here's your, your answer, that Christ is, Christ is a tent in which you live, and, and you're in him and he's in you, and therefore you have all 
sufficiency, everything. Philippians 4.11, um, let me read it to you now in the light of what I've said. He said, I have learned, that's that, that word, the first time he uses it, I've learned to be content, at rest in the Christ who is my life, in whatever circumstances I am. And then he delineates, I know how to get along with humble means. See, if I'm being persecuted, well, maybe it, it affects how I go through life for a while anyway. Well, that, that's fine. Christ is my, my, my everything, and that includes how I get along in life. But I also know how to live in prosperity. It doesn't matter. I don't define myself by my circumstances. I don't define my spirituality by stuff I've got. I am defined by Christ in me, and therefore whatever comes down the turnpike, I can handle it. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret, there it is, you see, of being filled, going hungry. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, the Amplified, and let me say this, and I say it with respect, and kindly, that this is accepted by our evangelical friends, persons who might not like everything I say, but they all accept the Amplified New Testament, Amplified Bible, as a bona fide translation. Very well. Let me read that verse to you from the Amplified. He said, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything, equal to anything, through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Wow. Do I need to comment on that? I think the Word of God can speak for itself. He's now... Paul now has a totally new outlook on life. The people and events that exposed his weakness were in fact setting him up for a new revelation and life strength that he could not know under any other circumstance. Bringing an unearthly joy, surpassing the pain of the circumstance. He can now boast in God in the presence of the thorn that reveals his weakness. Revealing weakness is now welcomed as the perfect place of revealing a superabundant grace presence of the Spirit of God. Grace trumps the worst that the enemy can throw at us. And so he uses the word here, for I will gladly, gladly, my New American Standard says, therefore I am well content the word gladly is in your older translations. But the word there in the Greek language is a word of eating and drinking something sweet. It's, it's to be eaten with relish, with great delight, with gusto. It, it, Paul says, you spread the table with all this opposition. And he says, I can hardly wait to see how the Holy Spirit will be made known to me because of the pressures that you guys are putting on me. 
The Old Testament word that would be used here, the Hebrew word for this, is jubilant exaltation and gladness. Or you, you could say the opposite of this is bitter. So they, they, they've set you up. They want this to be a bitter moment. The accuser wants this to be bitterness in your mouth. But if you've seen what Paul saw that I've been trying to share with you, then bitter doesn't even come into it. It's like tasting something deliciously sweet that excites the tongue. Something that you look forward to, something that causes you to salivate before you get to the table. And I say the Old Testament words means a jubilation, exaltation, gladness rising within you. So what do we do? Present your weakness knowing that herein is your true strength, Christ's fullness being made yours in this moment. You know, there's a a story that comes to us from the second century when uh, the Christians were abominably treated and thrown to the animals. And and the story is, and it comes, you know, with uh, good creditation, that a woman, a believer, she was in one of the cells that were in the Colosseum where they kept the Christians before the day came when they would throw them to the lions and wild animals to be torn apart before the crowd. And in the cell, this woman is giving birth to a baby. And her birth pangs, the the screams that she she gives as she gives birth to this child were held down the corridor of the cells and and a Roman soldier came by and mocked her and said, you're screaming over over a baby being born? Wait, Wait to the end of this week when we throw you to the lions, then we'll hear you really scream. And he was laughing at her. And the, the birthing mother looked up at him and said, Hear my word. She said, This day I am giving birth to a child, and that's my pain. I'm a mother, and I am bringing forth a child, and I have my pain. It's my pain. But when you throw me to the lions, it won't be my pain. It will be his, for he dwells in me, and I dwell in him. And when you throw me to the lions, you shall hear him shouting praise to God and granting us contentment and peace. That's New Testament Christianity, you see. I live, yet not I. It is Christ who lives in me, and it can be applied to all of life. And now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His blessing come upon you, take residence within you, and grant to you enlightenment, empowerment, and the peace of God that passes human comprehension. So I this night bless you, and so shall it be.